I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction, and we're super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. You can subscribe to us on any major listening directory by searching the AFT Construction Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. In fact, it's just around the corner from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products. They can turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your visions to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www dot subzero dash wolf dot com backslash showroom so today on the podcast we are excited to bring on sean van dyke and sean has been a tremendous asset to the building industry and his specialty is business coaching and in the podcast he actually shared a lot of insight for us as as business owners you know how should we hire how should we build our company culture where should we put our focus uh you know how much time should we spend in marketing and what should be the messaging what messaging is best you know, we also dove into cost plus and lump sum and how to mitigate risk and how to communicate that transparency, you know, trust and clarity with the client and just a lot of value that he brought just as business owners and what we should be focusing on, how we could better business, how we can excel in the industry. You know, construction is not an easy industry. How can we put systems in place? There's just so much information you're going to see for this entire conversation, roughly an hour and 20 minutes with Sean. He just gave nugget after nugget of information that all of us can apply. And a little background on Sean. Sean Van Dyke is a construction business coach, an international keynote speaker, and author of two books, Profit First for Contractors and The Paperwork Punch List. Most contractors are not profitable, which makes them feel uncertain about what they need to grow their construction businesses. Sean believes construction business owners should be as good at business as they are at their craft. That's why after 20 plus years of owning and operating multiple construction businesses, Sean became a construction business coach. He now works with construction business owners, executives, and managers all over the world and shows them how to stop losing profits and wasting time. Sean helps contractors get their lives back. He is the founder of the Built to Build Academy, which creates confident construction business owners through on-demand training and coaching programs so you can make more money, stop worrying, and get your life back. And I will say that a lot of my partners here, uh, trade partners that I've used, have consulted with Sean. He's just a great asset. Highly recommend looking him up, doing some research. And again, you'll enjoy this conversation with Sean. 
All right, so welcome today to Construction Podcast, and we have on one of my really good friends, Sean Van Dyke. So welcome, Sean. Hey, Brad. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, I'm super honored to have Sean. And Sean, for I, I would imagine most of you know who he is. You know, he's a, a business coach in the construction industry, and Sean and I have been, I would say, colleagues, friends, cross paths for many years now through social media at different events. And it's funny because there's a lot of my trade partners that I work with now that have hired Sean to be their business coach. And he's done podcasts in the past and he has an amazing present or a presence on social media where I've gained a lot of insight to better my business. So Sean, I, I can't wait for our listeners to tune in because you have so much to offer today. Yeah. What, what you may not know is like a lot of those trade partners at one time, we probably had a conversation on a coaching call you know, that were out there. I was like, well, let's target some bigger builders in that area. And if you're Brad, you know, Brad's name came up, I was like, let's just go get him, man. Let's just go get in front of him. Like, it's just Brad. It's just AFT. Like we can, you know, he's like any other builder that has problems that needs some trade partners. Let's go after him. So I probably have that recorded where I was just like, you know, it's just a dude offering some value and blow him away. And like, he'll hire you. We well, can do that. Well, I love that perspective. Cause I think the biggest thing, I, I mean, you, you never have any opportunities are the ones you don't take. Right. And so I think that's the biggest thing, Sean. I mean, you have this confidence when you speak to people, when you are in front of the camera, when you're in front of the microphone, when you're teaching and instructing, and I, I, I don't know how that's taught. I don't know how you gain such confidence, but there's value there to, to not be afraid of disappointment, but you just go out and get it. And I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't know what it looks like on the other side of the phone screen or whatever, but like, you know, it is not easy uh, when you stand up in front of a bunch of people live, like we used to be able to do, but even like to be effective through a phone screen too. It, I mean, it takes some, some practice and some people are, may have some more natural abilities or whatever than others, but it's all work. It's just, it's just work. And then when you make this kind of stuff, teaching and speaking your job, then you realize really quickly how bad you are at it when you see other people that are really good at it. And you're like, man, how do they do that? And then you realize like, it's just a job for them. Like it's like any other skill, you just have to practice it. That's why I have this like strange, really strange obsession with stand-up comedians now. I mean, like, and I'm talking like the good ones, like the, you know, I, I don't care who it is, the, the Jerry Seinfelds, the Chris Rocks, the, you know, we watched a, a, new episode or a new special from Kevin Hart or whatever. Now, I mean, again, language aside or whatever, but like these people, these that can stand for an hour to two hours and just deliver, like they're not fumbling. They're not and they're, they're They've got their timing down. It's just this really weird thing that I like get sucked into. Now my wife's like, Oh, you're watching another comedy special. I'm like, baby, <laughs> it's work. I'm working. I'm working. It's, it's work. Well, well there's some, a lot of truth to that. I mean, you think of like the cadence, the delivery, the communication, you know, the, the way that they um, engage you, right. And, and are leading you into the next part of either the bit, but even at, from your side as a business coach, when you're speaking, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, the more I speak to people that are public speakers, they say, look, Brad, the reality is, you know, if you're prepared, if you are passionate about the topic, if you understand the topic, you know, you're, you're going to be able to deliver that in a much more professional and engaging manner. Right. And I think that's the key, Sean, is that you, you know, your details, you know, your stuff, you've done your research, you've done your homework. And so being prepared allows you to stand up with a lot more confidence and, you know, deliver that message. 
Yeah, well, it come like I said, it comes with a lot of practice because you realize, and early on, like if you've seen some of my speeches, and I have them all recorded, and they're horrible, <laughs> um, because I was like, oh, I'm here to deliver information, and you're really, as a speaker, you're not, and it's almost like the same thing as leading a business too. Like you're there to make an emotional connection with people first, because if they don't buy into what you're doing at an emotional level, it doesn't matter how good the information is. And it could be just technically correct, but like people aren't going to buy into it if, if they don't have some kind of stake in it. So I learned very early on, like, especially presenting and delivering. And I experienced this too, when I was running construction companies, I don't think I realized it then or developed kind of my formula, the way I run through it, but like, we got to get people people got to know that you care about them and what the result is going to be at the end. And if you make those things, then everything you, you can fumble around and you can miss some things, you know, in the middle and people won't remember that because they know you care. You've made that connection with them and you you've told them where you're going to go with this thing and what they're going to get out of it. The stuff in the middle is usually just time fillers. That's why like I do a lot of keynotes and it's really weird nowadays, especially doing them virtually where they say, okay, your time frame is 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no one, no one wants to listen to me talk for 45 minutes to an, to an hour. It's just our human brains aren't wired that way. That's why I always say like TED Talks, there's a reason they're 18 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like they've studied this and say that is the time frame that you need to get the information across or whatever. So I always approach like keynotes and speeches is I just break them up into three 15 minute sections and fill them in with stories or transitions in, in between each of those things. Because no one wants to listen to me talk about estimating or cash flow analysis or whatever for 45 minutes. Like, I don't even want to hear myself talk about that. But when you say, hey, here's why this matters and here's how it's going to be different for you. And let me tell you a little story about an example, like a client or myself or what. So there's 15 minutes right there of just like setting people up and they, they start nodding their head like, yeah, I understand. I've been there. That guy's describing exactly me. Then the middle 15 minutes is, hey, it's it's like I would say it's like a sermon, right? It's three points and then you wrap it up at the end. So you make your three points and there's some more examples there. And then you just transition back into and recapping and have a little story or whatever and leave them emotionally connected with that thing. Early on, I was like, hey, here's 57. Here's a 57 step you know, process to <laughs> streamline your construction business. And if I'd kept doing that, then I probably wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I love that you spoke about the emotional connection. I think that's really important to any business that, you know, for anyone to take something from our conversation today is, you know, a term in sales and relationships is BRT, right? Build relationships of trust. And and clients will see uh, the authenticity behind that. You know, for you, Sean, you know, as business owners that we collaborate with you, we're going to see the authenticity of your message. And, and it's because you're connecting emotionally. You're connecting with real value whether to me to the client and as a business owner it's so key to understand that principle yeah especially like on the just on the business side in the sales and obviously always say that your business starts with sales and s selling is not something that most people are good at it's a it's a skill that has to be developed just like leadership or other things it's a skill and it can it can be learned but you have to understand in like the sales process you're going to meet some clients that and the only reason they're coming to you is because they have a problem and you may be the best company the best builder that solves that problem and you've done it a thousand times but if you don't like step back and make sure that that client understands 
that you understand their problem. Like someone, you know, it's going to come to you and says, Hey, we want this, we want this house built. Yep. This is what we do. It's, it's not a problem. Let's just get on to step number one. You're going to lose them to somebody else, probably even inferior to, to you, wh whether it's price or whatever, because they didn't think that you connected with them. And all you were trying to say is like, yeah, let's just get onto the process. Cause like, we're going to deliver a great project for you, but you'll lose business if they don't, you know, if they don't have that emotional connection with you, like, oh, Brad and his team, like, we're gonna, they listen to us, they understand. Now, you and your team know that, like, yep, yeah, all of our customers have this problem, and we solve it in this way. But like, let them come through it, let it develop a little bit, let us ask some questions. And then we can emotionally take them exactly to where we want them to go. Let's not make them go there. Let's help guide them there. Because if we can, if they can trust, the relationship down the road when the change orders start flying and things come up or you know, like I was watching your stories the other day when some inspector comes out there and says, no, you have to keep that little sagebrush in that place or right. whatever, <laughs> whatever your crazy requirements are out there. Then when you've got that relationship and it's going to cost you more money and maybe cost the owner more money, when you have that relationship, you can say, Hey, remember the process that we told you about? This is kind of something new. And we told you some things are going to come up, but we stay ahead of it. This is one of those situations. I'm so sorry that this came up. And they're going to be like, yeah, we understand because we, we're, we're there emotionally with you through the whole thing. Now, obviously, it's not that simple. But if you skip over that relationship building part at the beginning, then everything becomes a lot harder because building in general is just really, really hard. Uh, so you got to have that relationship and that trust and that emotional connection to them because i always say like you and you probably experienced this you have done a perfect job a wonderful job the house looks great but you know your team knows and your clients know by the end of it they're kind of like when is brad gonna get out of here <laughs> like we can we just have the house please like you've done a great job but it, it's still exhausting right oh. and so just understanding like hey we're gonna get you there we're all gonna be tired of each other at the end but uh it's gonna be a great relationship as as good as it can be because we're doing this really hard thing by constructing this custom house and it's just exhausting so let's just put that out there this is an exhausting experience for both of us and let's just agree that it's going to get hard at times but we've got people we got systems and we got other things that soften some of that hardness but like it's still hard but you can trust us yeah i, I love that sean because i think you know, most of us have, who have worked in construction, design, architecture, you know, this is a long process. It's not something that's done in a week. And these relationships take time. And so if the client likes you, if there's a personality there, if there's a friendship there, in addition to the professional side of things, you know, because business still takes precedence over that, you know, it's going to be easier to work through some of the issues that come up, as you mentioned. And I love that you had talked about listening. I think, you know, sales is a skill and it's really valuable when you can sit there in front of a client and you understand their pain points. As you mentioned, like what are the things, the problems that they're dealing with? Have they built in the past? What were the bad experiences they had? How are you vetting out? Well, how can I solve these? How can I be a solution for them? How can I bring value? And if you're listening and without the client even realizing that, that as you're sitting in that orientation or first sales, you know, opportunity and you're having this conversation and, and, and picking that apart and seeing what they're saying and speaking to them, you know, that you're going to make that connection. And, you know, you think in the medical field, and this is something I shared on the podcast, is that so many times in these malpractice suits, it's because the patient didn't like the doctor, right? A majority of the time, you know, whereas if they like their doctor, even if things go 
sideways, which sometimes they do. It's a lot easier to work through that. And the same thing in construction, if there's a good relationship with the client, you can work through the issues that come up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you had, you, you know that those issues are going to come up. And so I think you have to get out in front and identify that. Now there, like you said, we've got to balance the business side of it. You don't want to make yourself liable for certain things and be like, Oh yeah. Hey, by the way, we're going to screw something up. Uh, yeah. like, I wouldn't say that you, you know, you say that in the sales process, but you, you can say like when things don't go according to plan, we've got a process and we've got people, we've got systems to identify and, and make some decisions and then come together and, and move on. Nobody's, you know, nobody's perfect. And uh, sometimes just saying that, but then also balancing that, like I said, at the beginning saying our customers have a certain idea of what they want. If we give them or even sell them what they want, we know that they're not going to be happy in the end because we are the experts. So balancing that uh, empathy and that emotional connection, reinforcing it with confidence in the system to say, yep, we know our customers are going to say they want this for whatever reason. We're not going to do that as a business. So we need to make sure that when that thing comes up, whatever it is, that we walk them through and guide them through this other point. Because if we actually built that thing for them, we know they're not going to be we know they're not going to be happy. So, you know, we want to serve the customer, but the only, I would say the only way that you get to serve customers over the long term is you got to serve the business first. So you got to have confidence in like what our business is about and how we deliver that and what's the process and then developing a very empathetic system, especially on the sales and, and onboarding clients at the beginning, because if they can get on board there, then we can just, we can blow and go during the, during the production process. No, I love that you share that, Sean, because I think the empathy side is something that we as contractors like the most. And whether it's where, you know, uh, you know, we have this callous of a personality because of dealing with our business, it's not easy dealing with labor and issues and materials and, you know, all the problems that come up with inspections and timelines, and then the client's frustrated with budget and schedule. So, you know, we become, you know, less empathetic and we need to understand the excitement of the client. But I love that you talked about um, just that communication because I... It, it's funny, over the years as a business owner, I've seen where I've made more of a goal, especially in the beginning, and I try my darndest, right, that you know that we have all the selections made, all the architecture, all the design, all the finishes, and it's not that the client can't make changes, but we're trying everything. Before we put a shovel on the ground, the most everything's decided. Notwithstanding all this effort and pre-construction to set up and tee up our project to be successful, the reality is that the interpretation of the finished product of my client is going to be different to what the designer thinks that's different than the architect and myself. And so there will be breakdowns throughout the process. And I have to explain to the customer, Hey, you're going to interpret something on paper or what you see in hand. But when you blow it up on a whole floor, like you may see this little sample tile, but when you see it on the whole floor, it may look different. And so it's helping them understand that there may be things where they may interpret something different, but we're here to help them throughout the process if something comes up of concern to them. Yeah. And I always tell people like, Hey, tell me no, like, tell me no, as soon as something happens, because, and I, I learned this probably, well, there's a, there's a book out there. I think it's called start with no, it's about a sales process. And it's about negotiation. I got that recommended that book. I think if you've ever read Chris's Va Chris Voss's book, never split the difference mm -hmm. about book. negotiation, you know, everything's you're, you're, you're constantly selling, but, both of these books kind of say the same thing. They were like, yes is a lie. 
maybe is worthless, but a no is a decision. So get to a no as quickly as possible. And the way that we teach the clients that I work with, especially in the sales or even in the production process is like, invite your clients to tell you no as soon as possible. If what I'm about to describe to you in this process or this sample or whatever it is, tell me I'm crazy, tell me I'm wrong, tell me no, you don't want this because that means mentally they have made a decision. But a lot of times when we don't have the right connection or we're not listening to our clients, then we'll say like, oh yeah, you're gonna want this large format tile because in this space it's great and it's we've done this before and this is what the architect designed and they're gonna be very intimidated and they'll just nod their head which is a yes, which is probably a lie because they're embarrassed because they don't have all the information. You seem so confident about it, but like I didn't realize on the drawing that that thing was a 36 by 36 and now I'm seeing it. I don't really like it. I thought it was going to be small because they don't, right? But they will never say no. So you got to invite them. You got to get those no's very early on. Same thing in the sales process. Hey, great. You want us to build a house? Well, let me, let's talk a little bit about that. And we're going to tell you about our process and how it works. And as soon as something comes up that you say, no, I don't, I don't want the budget. I, I'm not going to spend that much. I don't like your company. I don't, whatever. I don't, I don't like the way you dress. Like, just tell me no, because that's a decision. And with the, when we have some decisions stacked up, then we, then we're all on the same page. But if you nod your head and lie to me, and I'm not saying that intentionally do that, but yeses are usually a lie. Maybes are worthless. Like, oh, maybe let me think about that. Uh, okay. What that's just, that's just kicking the just, can down the road, but exactly. man, getting those no's it's okay. We're going to do pre-construction here. You're going to pay us a bunch of money to, to develop the, the project and the plan and work with the architect. That's how we work here. It's okay to say no, but that's, let us know that up front. And then you can, you can move to a, another contractor that maybe works for free or whatever, but like, just tell me no, and it's okay. And we've heard it before. We'll hear it again. It's all right. And so when you invite your customers to have that part of the conversation, then you get, you get a lot more uh, momentum going towards actual solutions. Well, I think you're alluding to this as the skill because the, the one thing that's tough to decipher and vet as the contractor side is some clients are very good about saying no or be being very decisive. Like they know what they want. They know what they don't like. Maybe they've built before, so they understand the process to some extent. And so it's easier to get those no's or that communication, but you can have some clients that don't know that have no idea that don't know what they like or the husband and wife or spouse and spouse want something totally different, right? They're on totally different extremes, you know? So how do you break that down or what kind of questions, you know, how do you start breaking that down to get to the bottom line, to get the answers that you need? Yeah. If there's any ambiguity there or we're trying to, you know, there's just no decision being made. Then I try to go to like a time-based decision. And, and let them know saying, hey, take some time, think about it, you guys discuss it, let us know if you got any questions, we can help you, blah, blah, blah. But let's just be really clear, in order to move forward, like we can't move on to the next thing until this thing is decided. So let's do this. We're, you don't have to make the decision now, let's decide when we need to have the decision made. So let's decide when we need to decide. And if you make a decision or we can help you make that decision before that, then no problem. But like three weeks from now, six months from now, whatever, let's put that date on the calendar. Don't worry, we'll remind you as we get a little bit closer, but that decision is gonna have to be made. If, if it's not made, again, not a problem, we're just gonna start delaying or pushing back. And because we're such professionals, we're not gonna wait until the last minute. 
we're going to let you know like, hey, a month, a month out from having this decision made, you don't have the decision made. We've got to start slowing things down. We've got to start adjusting things. And here's how it's going to, here's how it's going to affect. Like one of the things that we teach our clients in their customer experience uh, system is the number one rule is you never, ever, ever, ever want to surprise the client, but you want to delight them constantly. So meaning like no one, no one actually likes surprises. And I was actually was talking uh, at a speech that I gave just a couple of weeks ago about this saying like, if you ever have seen anybody walk into a surprise birthday party, like <laughs> that person, right? The, the initial surprise is not joy. It's not, uh, you know, it's not rainbows and unicorns and, oh, totally. all these people are here. That comes after the horror and the, the, uh, the fear on their face initially, right? So no one actually likes surprises. I also use the example of like, I love, and I know you've got, you know, a million kids like I do. <laughs> so every now and then I get the chance to, to run down and meet the kids at the bus stop or whatever. I have five, five kids and my, my youngest is our five-year-old uh, daughter and she just a, she's mini me. She looks exactly like me. And then seeing her getting off the bus and her seeing my face and she comes running, you know, all of that is a great dad moment, right? Like that is so joyful. That little face smiling in that moment, because I'm expecting that. That same smiling, cute little face that looks just like me when it's 2.30 in the morning and I'm asleep in my bed and that face, and you've had this happen because you yeah. had, right? Oh, yeah. And you just wake up because you're like, there's a presence in the room. It's the exact same face, right? But I don't expect it then and I'm surprised by it. It's absolutely horrifying. Same little beautiful baby girl can be absolutely horrifying because people <laughs> don't like surprises but you want to constantly delight them. Meaning like, hey, when we're not gonna surprise you with a change order, if this is what you picked and you change your mind, not a problem, it's gonna cost you extra and, or whatever it is, but here's our process for changing it. And everybody at the beginning of the project is, like I said, rainbows and unicorns, everything's gonna be perfect. You know it's not gonna be, so you gotta say, hey, we don't want to surprise you down the road We're we all feel good right now. And, and everything's going well, but like when these problems come up, here's how we're going to walk through it. And then when those changes come up, you can say, Hey, remember back when we first started and look in the contract and we spent some time like that's actually can be delightful for them. Cause they're like, yeah, I knew that this was coming up. It's not a surprise. I don't, they don't have to, they're probably not going to like it. They don't want to spend more money. They don't want to change or whatever, but they're not going to be surprised by it. No, I love that, Sean. I think that's great counsel. Never surprise, delight them constantly. And going back to how you teed this up, you were mentioning, you know, if things can't be decided right then, there has to be a time-based decision. And a lot of that has to come down to, as you alluded to, where we as builders, you know, or business owners, we have to have a system, we have to have protocol, we have to have an education for the client. Because I two examples jumped out to me as you were talking about this. You know, one, you know, we had, we had a client that, um, you know, was trying to under, figure out, do I want to go curve jam or do I want to have door casing? Well, that is going to, you know, affect the schedule because if we go curve jam, which for those listening, what that is, is where, you know, we put the door jams in and then the drywall, actually the corner bead ties into the jam itself. You know, you don't have door casing. So when you think about that, how that relates to construction, well, when we're hanging drywall, I need to have my doors done. I need to hang them, put them in that way. When the tapers and corner B guys come in for drywall, they can curve them in, tape, texture, more in and out. One trip charge, less expensive. If that decision is made late on the stain color, 
You know, it takes our door company three weeks to make those doors, deliver them, get them installed, hung all, you know, all the little nuance there. Well, if the client doesn't understand that, hey, you can't wait till it's drywall time because that's going to delay us three weeks. If they don't know that because I'm not communicating that, well, that's going to affect them. Um, we had another example where a client, you know, was changing their island design, right? It's this big island, massive slab. And she's like, well, why should I be paying a big trip charge? Because they already got to come back and do this little powder bath. And we had to explain, well, by you changing this island, you know, when they're doing the whole house, they have five, six guys coming out to the site. You can't lift this slab with one guy. So, you know, yeah, one guy could come back and set your little powder bath top by himself. But with the island, they're coming back now with six, seven guys. So you have to pay for their hours and drive time. And so a lot of it's just education. And if we're not educating the client, they don't know the nuances behind the building side. Yeah. And we, we teach, uh, I'll let you like, this is like high level consulting here. This is, I'll give you a little snippet. Right. Um, and this is, this is going to save your listeners, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds of, you know, man hours, these three simple questions. And then going back to the delight thing, we actually call this the delight trifecta. If you can answer these three questions, these are the three questions that your uh, customers are constantly asking themselves, even though they'll never verbalize it. So when you have your process dialed in meaning like you got to you're in the sale this is our sales process this is our design process planning contract onboarding you know whatever it is production and i know production has a thousand different steps these three questions every time where am i at how does this work and what's next if you were to lay out your entire process from beginning to end you can even take it you know even to mark the marketing part of it but if we just start when we sell a client all of our steps, we call it the monorail map. Like we're going to put our customers on this monorail. And the reason I say monorail is because it's impossible to get lost on a monorail. I actually came up with this concept last year in Vegas when we, when we're we, were, the uh, monorail. we were out there, right? And I realized like, okay, where where am I at? I'm, I'm at Harrah's and I, where do I need to go? How many stops are there? And then you realize like every point along the way, the people in Las Vegas have, and it's the same for a lot of other business. Once you see this everywhere, it's like, here's where you are. You walk into a mall and you see that map and it says what, right? You are here, right? And so the monorail map idea is like, you cannot get lost. You can only exist at one place at any one time. And we're going to tell you as the business, we're going to tell you, well, here's where you are right now. And here's how this part of our process works. And when you go through this part of the process, then here's what's next. And then you get to that next stage and you say, yeah, congratulations, you're here. Cause you need to remind them where they are and you cannot allow your customers to exist in more than one place at a time. Now, like the example you were talking about with the door jams and the drywall, they're gonna hear drywall and think, oh, that's production. Like I can make that, no, no, no. Let's tell you how this part of the process works. And I know it seems like drywall, but like that's one of the things in I don't know, wherever we're at in this stage, we have to make decisions that affect the drywall way before then. So here's where you're at. Here's how this pro part of the process works. And when we successfully complete all this, then we're going to move on to the next one. And the business owner has to be just as disciplined about that as well, saying like, you're always going to be planning and working on the next step. Your business, the people, the systems are going to be ahead of the client, right? You're going to be at a different stage business-wise, but your client needs to know, where I'm at, how does this thing work, and what's next? And you can't go to the next stage because you can't exist at two places. We can't do the planning and do contract execution. Like it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. 
I love that counsel, Sean. I mean, you think about it from our side. I mean, the critical path, you know, the, the milestones, whether, you know, if the clients have a good understanding, as you mentioned, you know, where am I at? How does this work? And then what's coming up next? I mean, if we can lay that out for them, that's going to provide that value. It's funny because as you were speaking it, you know, I was thinking of our team and, and what I've expressed to our team from a management side, you know, if the client has to ask you what's next on the schedule, what's upcoming, you know, we don't have to give them a minute by minute, but if we're not giving them a two or three week outlook so they can be engaged um, or at least have a milestone for the overall duration, they're going to feel like they have to manage the job, like they have to manage us. And, but if we're staying in front of them, Hey, you know, no one's going to be on site today because, you know, rain and our footings are full of water. So we can't, you know, we can't pour concrete. So we have to push that, you know, if they're calling us, then they think something's wrong. But if we're staying in front of them, they, you know, they know, Hey, they're being communicative. They're on top of it. I don't have to babysit them. I can go focus on my business. And so there is value by laying that out and communicating that for the client. Yeah. And then also just understanding that like your clients hired you for a reason and they're not going to pay as close attention to the details. And that's why it's very important to have this mapped out and you show it to them because they're going to start asking you questions about, well, Hey, what about this? What about that? Yeah, no problem. Let's, let's talk about that, but let's pull the map back out. Here's where you're at. Like we can have a conversation and we can go, uh, put our guys on, you know, chasing some of that information down. Not, not a problem, but we're, we can't, execute we can't allow you to jump over there because this is where you're at and and i understand like this is all a lot of details here but you just train your clients that when they have a question sure we're going to answer it to them or we're going to answer it for them or with them but we're always going to go back to the map just to remind people because again especially the clients that you're dealing with you want them to like hey go focus on whatever it is that you're doing that makes the money to be able to keep us in business if if you gotta, if you gotta come back and keep asking questions, then then either there's some there's a gap in our process, or we haven't identified you as that type of client, right? Meaning like, hey guys, and this is something to be internally. Hey, we we've got this great project coming up, but we've identified this client. They're probably gonna ask a lot of questions. So raise your hand if you want to be the monorail map conductor. Like you're going to put more time and effort into this particular client, which still a great client. They're just a little bit different. So on this, you know, on this project for this client, we got to assign, we got to do a little extra work. I love that, Sean. You know, and this is probably a, a very broad question for you because you counsel and, and consult and work with so many different companies, you know, GCs to trade partners, to suppliers all throughout the country. And so you know, with this broad question, you know, what is one of the biggest mistakes contractors make when running their business? Uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of mistakes and there's a lot of things we can do better, but what's something, you know, that we should be focusing on? Well, I, I think, I mean, I could go a thousand different ways with this, but most, most builders that, that I work with or contractors, the, the way that they have started and grown their businesses and, and been very successful, but there's a mentality, there's a mentality of like, well, I learned this part and no one kind of trained me. I can figure it out. And the, the thing is you can figure it out, but at what cost of time, right? We all started saying, Hey, this is brand new. We're going to, I mean, even when I started this business, but the, the biggest mistake that I see is when they're running their businesses is thinking that they have to be the one that figures it out instead of saying, I identify an area that I need some more knowledge or some more expertise in, I'm going to go hire somebody that's already an expert in that. And yes, it's going to, I'm going to spend more money on that than I've ever spent on it before, but it's going to pay for itself 
if you get the right person or the right system in place. So uh, to answer that question succinctly, it's waiting too long to bring in an expert. And that expert could be a foreman. That expert could be a lead carpenter. That expert could be a an accountant. Uh, trade a trade partner uh, or switching to a, a supplier that you don't think you can have that you've never used their stuff before because it's too high price, but it's going to sort the quality's better, the their service is better. And so, yeah, you may eat a little bit of money, but once you experience like what that expertise is in your business, like your stress level comes down. You don't have to worry about that stuff. And you can start thinking about what your job actually is as the owner of the business, which is growing the business, is to sales, which is developing relationships. It's not about the details. We can find, go find an expert and bring them on earlier than you think you need. You know, that's phenomenal advice, Sean. I wish we had this conversation eight years ago when I started my company. It's funny because I feel, you know, that, that it took me too long to realize that. I, what I've seen is, you know, you bring in the right controller that really understands, you know, the dollars and cents behind a thing, but behind our company and how they can track cost and margin and expenditures and other things that we're spending and give us a real live update on a daily basis. I mean, it's such value there, you know, having the right estimator that can estimate and catch things and find scope gaps from architect and design, you know, that's key. And so I, I think that there is, um, not that I think I've learned the hard way, as you mentioned that to, to accelerate our business, we need to put the right people in place, empower them, even if it means we're going to pay them more, but they're an expert in that area. And there's value to that because now our business can operate more efficiently and allow us to focus on, you know, the vision and, and the things that'll help drive the company down the road. Yeah. And, and I, I will describe it like this is especially when you're starting your construction business. Um, there's, I always say this, there's a line in your business and that line is the business owner's abilities. So that's it. Like this is, this is where the line is in, in your abilities. When you bring people or systems on that are below your abilities, you get some help and there's nothing wrong with that. We need some help to grow our business, but the, the sooner that you can say, you know what, I need to get above the line. Like you were saying, I need to bring on a controller. Like that is an expert that is better than me and my abilities at looking at the financial side of stuff. When you hire above the line or create systems above the line, you get freedom. So you have to ask yourself, are we looking for help? And if so, let's go get some help. But with help means we got to do some training and there's some support there. Great. No problem. Hey, I'm paying a controller to come in. That's a CPA run another business. Maybe they don't have anything to do with construction. That's okay. They know the numbers. Yep. I'm going to pay a lot of money for them, probably more than, than I'm used to paying anybody before, but like you get freedom for that. And so you have to just say, are we looking for help or am I as the business owner or my team, do they need more freedom? And it, and it applies everywhere. When you ask your people, it, you know, your project managers or superintendents, like, Hey, as we grow or what are you looking for? Do you need more freedom? Or do you need some help? Because if you're looking for freedom, then we got to find somebody that's better than you. And I've just found in, especially in the last four years, since I started this business, my business and other businesses have accelerated faster. If I can be the dumbest person in the room, like go find really, really smart people and like whatever it takes. I've, I've gone on and bought back in the day when we could travel purchased airplane tickets to go sit in the conference room with somebody else that I knew was smarter than me just so that I could be around them and hopefully gain something. And that, that's one of those things about like, Hey, I want freedom. 
I want to get I want to get people and systems above the above my line, um, and it works. It works every time. No, that's it's such great advice, Sean. I mean, I I'm going to take that application. You know, when you when you think of a business owner, if you're hiring people that are smarter than you, more talented than you, you're going to be successful. And there has to be an ego set aside for that freedom, as you mentioned. And you know, from a sports analogy, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the NFL, and I look at you know the NFL is very unique because there's 32 teams, right? And it's 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 all built on parity. You have salary caps. You know, the worst team drafts first. Yet it's always the same organizations winning. And it's because the owners aren't trying to be general managers. They're not trying to be scouts. They're not doing, you know, they're going to hire people that are better than they are to do this. And because of that, those teams are successful because the ego set aside and they're going to hire the professionals. And and it's very similar to us as builders that if I have an estimator or pre-construction guy that's smarter than I am that can identify this with our software, if I have a controller that understands our numbers better than I do, that's okay. You know, I put my ego aside because... You know, I can still build the vision, but that's going to make us as a team, as a core, as a company culture, so much stronger and better down the road. And I think most business owners are missing that. And I love that you're just speaking about that, Sean. Well, and the other thing for business owners, and this applies to any business, but especially for builders, is you have to be very self-aware and just step back from it and say, man, I hate the numbers. It's okay. Just admit that to yourself. You know, and I hate estimating. Uh, I'm not very good at it. I just did it because I own the company. Now you may have not a lot of knowledge, but like get really clear with yourself. You don't like estimating. What you like doing is like getting out, putting shovels in the in, in the ground and building things or, or whatever. Now you have to make a decision like, is that the most valuable use of your time as the business owner? But like identify those things that you hate and then realize don't take that into the hiring process. Meaning like, well, I hate estimating. There is some person out there that loves estimating. Right. They they yeah. want to never go out in the field. Now, I mean, this may not be the perfect fit for a construction company, but there is somebody that loves to read plans. They love spreadsheets and they can increase your estimating efficiency and accuracy because like that's how they are wired. They They can't stand being out in the Arizona heat. And we're talking even like the perfect time of year, like right now when it's like, I don't know what, 70, 80 degrees. And it's just the most beautiful place on earth, right? You still have an estimator that's like, man, that's so hot. I don't want to go outside. Just put <laughs> me in front of the computer, right? And you've tried to do the books. There are accountants, there are bookkeepers, there are nerds out there. And, I, and I'm a nerd. I'm a, used to be an engineer. They love the systems. They like, it gives them a thrill to organize a spreadsheet. You're like, I can't imagine that those people exist. They do exist. And so you've just got to find someone that's as passionate about building or running a business as you. There is someone just as passionate out there that doesn't want to run a business that wants to look at spreadsheets all day and they gain a satisfaction by it. And I don't know, like, I know it's weird, but they go home and they tell their families, I found 2% efficiency today and I programmed a spreadsheet and their family just goes nuts because that's, <laughs> they're wired like that too. And it's like, woo, this is great. Right? Like, you got to understand those people are out there. And if you can find them, the faster you can find them and put them in charge of that crap that you hate, the faster your business takes off and the more money you're going to make. I love that, Sean. So, so getting back to the money side, and let me ask you this, because one of the tough things in our industry, and I know you've spoken about this in the past, is we have clients that the first call, Brad, I want transparency, right? I, you know, I need transparency you know, my other builder didn't or whatever. And so they're demanding, you know, to see everything, the open books. I mean, how do you navigate that conversation with the client? 
Yeah. All right. So great about transparency. I always say, okay, let's just deal with the elephant in the room. Like we got to define what that term is. Hey, we want transparency. We want to see all the books. We want to see all of the stuff. Great. Yeah. No problem. Can I see your bank account? Can I see the money? And I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, you're not going to say it like this and I'm being trying to, you know, be a little funny here, but like understand what transparency is, is looking both ways. When a client comes and says, Hey, we want transparency. And then what they request is the interrogation room that they want to put you in and they want to stand behind the, the two-way glass or whatever, just so they can look in, but you can't see any of it. Like that's not transparency. Now, I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with an open book type of contract or business or whatever, but let's get out of this. Like, this is not transparency or just being like, Hey, we're, we have a business. We're going to show you all of the stuff, but us showing you doesn't make trust. Trust is actually the opposite of that saying, Hey, here's our process. Here's what we've done for other people. Here's how we work. Here's our experience. You can talk like, can, and you talked about that building the relationship on, on trust. Like, trust is is that transparency is not trust i and i heard um i heard somebody describe it on a podcast once is like um it's not it's not trust if i you know uh if my wife wants to go through my cell phone every night when i come home like by the way she totally can right but that's uh that's transparency transparency is not trust like oh she trusts me so much that she's going to go through my cell phone you know, and look at all my messages or whatever. And I was like, babe, you're going to find a bunch of DMs from a bunch of contractors all over. <laughs> like, that's all it is. Okay. Uh, but that's not trust. Right. And so let's just deal with it. Like we can give you, and that's a business decision. We're going to provide again, not transparency. We're going to open our books to you so that you can see it. But like, if we have to start justifying the way that we do this, then that's not trust. It, I don't believe that transparency builds trust. It can provide some clarity, that that's for certain, but I would rather, I would rather sell the process and the results that people are going to get from our process than just to say, well, we got to show them everything now, especially the more custom work that you do. Like there's so many decisions that have to be made. There's probably a balance there, but like, as far as transparency, I just try to get out in front of it and say, all right, if we want to be really transparent, and I've had builders that do this too, they say, we're going to do, we can, do an open book, transparent sort of thing, but we're also going to set up an escrow account and the money for this project is going to be deposited in there. And we both have whatever legal rights to it. And there's a process. Hey, that's transparency. Here's how much your project's going to cost. We'll show you all, you know, all of the numbers and you see everything. Let's, as the business, let's look back in through that clear barrier into the escrow account and see, yep, we need another million dollars in there. Because we're getting phase two of the project's getting ready to start. That's transparency if we want to define it like that. But most customers and most, you know, I don't want to piss off any of your architects, but they <laughs> use that word a little bit lightly thinking yeah. like, oh, in order for us to trust you, you need to be transparent. And I'm like, transparency is not trust. Yeah, I, I love that distinction. I think there's a lot of value there, especially with an analogy of, you know, you speaking about your wife with the cell phone, right? Going through it. Um how that correlates to us. I mean, the clarity side is a great definition and I've seen where, you know, there's, there's, for those listening, there's two types of contracts for the most part in construction. You have an open book cost plus, which you're alluding to, which is very transparent to an extent, you know, with the client. And sometimes they may request an audit. That's fine. Right. It's a negotiated fee and overhead, whatever. And then you have the lump sum, which is, Hey, here's the cost to do the project. 
and now it's up to me. And really what you're doing is you're mitigating risk or you're assigning risk. You know, on a lump sum, I'm going to take the risk as the builder. I'm going to say, I'm going to build your house, Sean, for $1.5 million. I have to hit that number. It's a lump sum. I need to hit that, right? Unless there's some change you're going to make. Um, you know, going to the cost plus, well, the risk now is put on the client because if lumber goes up, if aluminum goes up, if I can't get, you know, certain products and we have to reselect, I mean, these are at your risk. And what I've learned is, you know, and this is really valuable, what you spoke about, Sean, is you talked about the clarity of the pricing. And what that means is if I was to do a drywall bid, you know, for the client, yeah, we're going to get a bid from the drywall contractor, let's say for 50,000. However, Sean, even though this is open book cost plus, and we're being transparent and here's the clarity you need to understand there needs to be a contingency line of five grand of drywall punch, because the reality is the there's going to be Throughout construction, we put in cabinetry and we're putting in finishes and trades are walking through and ding and dry with their tool belt. I mean, this is the cost of construction. There's going to be mistakes and and not, not so much mistakes, but there's nuances of construction that happen. And there has to be a billable amount to take care of that because it's not my house. I mean, this is your house and there is a cost to build your house. If I could just snap my fingers, drywall's done and I don't have to do a drywall punch the rest of the house, that's fantastic. But that's not reality. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, you you don't cost plus. If I get this question all the time, you know, is it cost plus or lump sum? Quick answer: lump sum. The only way, but but the only way you can do lump sum is if you have all the information, and that become that information becomes fixed in time at the point at which the lump sum is issued. And we all know things are going to change. So that's back to the process, saying, okay, here's your price for what we know. I think, especially for custom stuff, like, hey, getting out of the ground, getting the foundation, like those first few phases, it's a combination I mean, like, we can price this stuff because we, like, like you said, we've either had the decisions made or we don't. What are we doing digging in the ground if we don't know what the, the footprint's going to be, right? We, we have no business even doing that. But I can quote, I can give you lump sums as we go. Um, but Here's the thing about cost plus is because your clients don't understand all of the nuances of it. Builders that are professionals in this don't understand the difference between markup and margin. And you as a business owner need to make a certain margin, which requires a certain markup. And if I'm saying, I'm going to put, here's our cost plus this markup. Oh, well, it's a, you know, it's a 20% markup. Yeah. Because, and that gives us a 16.7% margin or whatever. It's like, wait, I thought it was only, you know, cost plus 15%. Like it gets very, it gets very confusing. And I also say like anybody that's doing cost plus, you've got to be, I mean, you've got to be marking up and this just gets in the math. I don't want to bore your audience, but like we're talking 30, 45, you know, 50% to hit some margins of 33 to 50% or whatever. A client's going to freak out if they're like, yeah, cost plus 50%. Like that's what you need or cost plus 25% because they're thinking 10, 15, 13% or whatever. And it's like, no, what it really is, is we have all these general conditions and these rates set and there is all sorts of markup and margin in those. And we're going to bill you hourly for that. So it's what I always say is like cost plus really isn't cost plus it's cost. It's rates. Plus we're going to establish the rates for our own in-house labor. We're going to establish rates for our subcontractors. And that might have a 15 or 20% markup on it. And then materials are, you know, or what they are, but like, there's always a, a section in there where you control a little bit because builders are only marking up, let's say their cost at 20%, then 
like that's pretty thin margins uh, to especially to on a two-year so. build i mean if you're doing a two-year build and you have the manpower and you have a coordinator and a project manager and a superintendent general labor and plus the incidentals that come up and as you mentioned it's you know the the hard thing is the more transparent you are i found and and we try to be very you know uh in front of our clients from communication and open with them and communicate and all these things but there's still things where they look at me and say, why should I pay for that, Brad? You know, this, this should be used to bold, you know, you as the builder. And I'm like, well, you know, this, this is where if we don't have our communication in line, if we don't have our systems to really clearly explain, as you mentioned, the nuances of construction and the cost that will be generated on this project, then we're not doing our part because that's where we lose that common ground with the client. Yeah. And you don't want to sit in that sales meeting and say, by the way, Mistakes are going to be made. Yeah. Like we're right. going to make mistakes and you're going to pay for them. Yeah. No one wants to hear that's, that. No one wants to hear it, but that's what, if you want to make money, because mistakes are going to be made. Now you have to decide which ones are mistakes that, that are just like cost of doing business, you know, or like, Hey, our clients shouldn't pay for our mistake or whatever. But in a lump sum, you figure some of that in there and hope and do everything you can so that you don't go over your allowance that you've put in there for mistakes because you know something's going to get framed wrong or bad lumber or, you know whatever the million things that could come up and i always say with with cost plus versus lump sum here's the deal with lump sum you have to sell your value with cost plus you usually end up justifying your costs i would rather try to sell my value up front and then perform a great project than to justify it afterwards saying, well, why did they, why did they have to charge me for five guys to come back? They were, you know, the one guy was already here setting the thing anyway. Okay. I have to justify that, you know, but in super, especially high end stuff, you don't have all back to the original thing. You can only price what you know. So right now we can quote this part of the work. And then if we don't have these decisions made, like what we're talking about at, at the beginning, we're going to move forward with a cost plus. So I think that there's a combination of the two. I think a lot of people, a lot of builders early on hear cost plus and they think, well, that's easy. Just as the bills come in, I just mark them up and I send them off and they get paid. It's just like you are not going to avoid the paperwork. And I think that you, I would argue that if you got your systems dialed in the lump sum, you're going to spend more time up front doing paperwork, estimating and calculating takeoffs and all of that kind of stuff. You may be able to move a little quicker in a cost plus from the beginning, the paperwork's still there. Either way, it is a crap ton of paperwork. You're not going to avoid one either way. It's just where are you going to do the paperwork? Are you going to do it beforehand or are you going to do it during the project? And that's just a business decision. Like, hey, what kind of contract do we want to do? And I've seen companies, they have different contracts for different types of projects and different types of clients. Like, especially the high-end stuff, your customers, they, you know they can't make decisions until drywall goes up. They don't, it's just lines on paper to them. You and I can see it in 3D and we can imagine the space. Like we know they're not going to pick out anything, anything in the cabinets, no matter how many samples we show them or whatever, until they can stand in that room and the drywall's up and then they get a sense for the space, right? And then they'll make some decisions. Okay, I'm not going to price anything and I'm certainly not going to quote anything until the decision's made. And if we get right up to it, we can say, hey, we're going to run this as cost plus time and materials, you know, fill it in. So I think that there's a, it's a combination of both, but I get that question all the time. Which one's better? <laughs> They're both a lot of work. They are a lot of work. And I love that distinction. And, and the, the reality is true. I've done both and lump sum, you know, there's a lot more work 
in that pre-construction before you break, break ground. But, you know, the cost plus is almost more work, but it's spread throughout the project. You know, I, so, so going back to the lump sum, which I know is what you recommend, Sean. And, and, you know, there are marketplaces throughout the country that dictate different markets. And a lot of it's because how contractors do business that in that area or mentality of the customer, you know, but on a lump sum, like right now where we have an issue with lumber, lumber, you know, has doubled essentially in the last six months. So are there things that we should put in our contract as a builder? Okay, Sean, I'm going to build your home. It's a lump sum. It's going to be a million dollars to build your house. You know, however, should I have a clause saying, here's the lumber, you know, if it, if, if it navigates, you know, plus or minus 5%, you know, yeah, I'm going to take care of that. But if it's more than that, then we need to have a conversation. You know, how do you, how do you navigate the COVID side of things or the supply chain? Yeah. So the great question. And and before I had talked about this years before just saying, Hey, you got to cover your butt on everything. Your contract needs to be as long as it needs to be. People ask me, how long should my contract be? as long as you need it to be to cover your butt. Like that's, if it's 20 pages, it's 20 pages. Uh, but especially since COVID and materials have gotten crazy and supply chains have gotten all messed up. Like there's the thing in legal terms. And again, this is not legal advice, check with your attorney, uh, but it's something called an escalation clause. You gotta have it. And, and if it works now, post COVID, if there ever is such a thing post COVID or whatever, you should keep it in your contract. And it basically just says it, exactly what you said you define the parameters of whatever that thing, it could be materials, it could be schedule related, it could be supply chain related or whatever. You have to define that and get with your attorney about what's legal in your state and how you can put that. But it basically says within these parameters, you're not gonna pay anything or we're gonna cover the cost or whatever. Uh, uh, outside of these parameters, maybe it's a direct cost. We're not trying to make any money on it, right? But we will pass the cost directly to you. There's probably a way to document that or whatever. Um, and anything beyond this, like if it, the material prices go up so much and supply um, uh, supply chains get interrupted, then we need to have a demobilization and remobilization clause saying, and I'm actually going through this with my builder right now. And he said, hey, if we start building your house right now, you're going to pay 20 grand more in lumber. And I said, nope. We can wait. We can wait. I'll put the kids out in the camper in the driveway <laughs> for a few months if I have if I have to. I'm not spending twenty grand more on lumber or whatever. But it, we had that conversation where we say, no, let's stop and delay the project. And and I, just because I have you know been in the industry, I'm like, let me know what that costs to like just kind of keep us on the board and you know or whatever. So you need those things. Escalation clause and but with an escalation clause, you're going to have to define what that industry metric is because your client could be like i don't i don't think that material prices are like i looked at this resource like you have to land on what your what your metric is and there's a bunch of national statistics out there but you gotta i hate to say it, but that's got to be some standard language in your contract De uh, escalation clause and then also mobilization or demobilization and remobilization because i mean we have some builders and i'm sure you're seeing this too you know you're waiting months and months now on doors and windows and and other things and it's like we can't continue like we can't do a whole lot until we get this thing dried in and if our timelines are you know gotten pushed out six months because we're waiting on these doors like we can't we can't so we need to shut down and we're not going to charge you for shutting down but we may have to charge you to remobilize and redo our schedule in three months when we can pick back up no that's great advice sean because the reality is there there is 
a lot of complexity. And a lot of us are feeling that now in this market where, you know, if we don't have those escalation clauses, especially with lumber, I mean, there's, you know, I, you gave the example of 20,000. I mean, I know some builders where they may have a 600,000 lumber package. Well, that 600,000 lumber package can turn into $1 million, right? On a 30,000 square foot home. I mean, these are big dollars that can really be detrimental to any company or client, right? No client wants, as you mentioned, avoid the surprises. No one wants to have a $400,000 surprise, uh, you know, with the construction. Yeah, and I just home. realized that I, I just revealed to you how big my house is <laughs> by saying it's in here. Like the, I you think you're just being humble. Being like, oh my gosh, five kids and he's building like a 2,900 <laughs> square foot house. Gee whiz, what a loser. Hey, that's, yeah, I mean, you know. No, I know in, that the, you divide it by on 10. The, on the, you know, Camelback Mountain on the side of the hill, <laughs> you know, we're a little bit different here in the foothills of the Smokies. Look, we, we, we need to keep that mentality. I know, Sean, that yours is probably a tenth of what it really is, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and I, I get, I have six kids and I make them all share bedrooms and we even have a triple buck bed. So my kids don't love that, but you know, it's good for them, right? They have to learn to, yeah. to get along and have a roommate, but uh, you know, going back to the construction size of things. So, because th the bottom line is at the end of the day, you know, we're in business to be profitable. We want our, you know, and there's value there to our client, you know, and, and how do you have that conversation without offending the client? Because at the same time, the client, I would say in general, they want us to be profitable. They want us to warranty their home. They want us to be around. They want us for phase two, or, you know, they want to make sure the subcontractors working on the home are licensed professionals. They'll be in business and can service them years down the road. Right. Um, and, and I say that in general. And so we as builders have a big challenge because either we don't understand our costs or know our costs. And you know, there's a term profit first and that's something you speak about. Sean. I mean, this is one of your strengths is you really get into the nitty gritty about how companies without getting into percentage or markup or margin, but you know, understand how they invest and build their company from a financial standpoint. Yeah. So the, the way that like the highest level that I, teach the profit first it's based on my book profit first for contractors that that's out there um is again this will piss a lot of financial people off because it's like so basic and so simple but this is what this is what we do is break things down and make them very simple it's like you can only spend 100 of your income on your business like that's it now i now people are going to say oh well we can borrow money and we can find i'm not that's complicates it like the money that comes into our business, that's it. If we spend more money than that, we're going to be going into debt. Like that's, that's the basic stuff. Now, month to month, quarter to quarter, do we end up spending more money than comes in? Yeah, certainly, because there are trends in our business and you have to identify that. But in general, year over year, if you aren't, if you're spending more than 100% of the income that comes in, then uh, then you're going to have some problems. So with Profit First, we try to take this financial system that is very complicated, the accounting and all of that kind of stuff. It, like we said before, it takes an expert to understand how to account for things. But you as the business owner, like you are in charge of all of that money that's coming in because when things hit the fan, they're not coming to your controller. They're coming to you as the business owner. When the IRS, when it's some bill doesn't get paid or whatever, it's you not your employees that are necessarily, you know, maybe necessarily on the line. So with that 100% comes in, we got to pay all of our bills. And so we just split up with the, the money that, that we have to use. Well, we've got some profit that we need to make. If we're not making a profit, then why are we in business? Like you got to make a, you got to make a profit. When we make a profit, then you're going to pay tax on that. So those are some bank accounts that we set up so that when money comes in, we can set that money aside. Then we have to take care of the most important employee 
this is going to sound bad because it goes, it sounds like anti-leadership and anti-servant leadership and all that kind of stuff. But Brad, I know you don't feel, you don't walk around feeling this way, but without you, the business wouldn't exist, right? So we got to take care of the owner and make sure most construction business owners aren't being compensated for the risk and the liability and their expertise. So that's bank account number three is we got to take, make sure that the owner's getting paid for working in the business. And then finally, the rest is like, that's how we operate the business. So we call that OPEX account. So it's just that simple system. We got a bank account that handles the money coming in. And then we split that up, how we need to operate our business between profit, tax, owner's compensation, and operating the business. Now, as you get bigger businesses, multiple owners, you know, it gets complicated, but that's, that's the way. And hey, if you don't have the money in the operations account, the OPEX account, that is your business screaming at you to operate differently. Most people say, well, we don't have any profit, but we're paying our bills. Like, what the heck are you doing in business? And it, it sounds bad. Like, oh, we want to take care of our customers. The best way, the best way to take care of your customers is to make a profit. And I'm not talking about like a little profit. I'm talking about a big monster profit because you can do a lot of good with a, running a profitable company. You can provide jobs, you can serve more customers, you can give back to your community. You can, and again, you know, this is like getting the skilled, uh, skilled labor force sort of thing. You can provide so many more opportunities with profit. You don't have any of that. You don't get invited to be that that business owner in your community. And a lot of builders, a lot of construction business owners struggle with that because they say, well, I didn't get into building for the money. And I always say, it's <laughs> like, yeah, when I hear that, it's probably because you haven't made any. So here's what I recommend. If you're starting a construction company or you have a construction company right now and you say, well, I'm really not in it for the money, go and make a bunch of it and then give it away. <laughs> it's it's the same, you, you end up at the same place and everybody's lives around you are improved because of it. So this just part of being a business coach, you know, sometimes you got to call crap when you see it and be like, oh, I'm not really in it for the money. You should be because money profit is a measure of effectiveness. The more effective you are with your customers, with your employees in your community, the more money you're going to make, the more money that you make, the more you can do great things with it. No, I love that. And, and the call to action there, I mean, just the, the directness, Sean, is really important because I think a lot of us have that call to action as builders or designers, architects. I mean, anyone that's listening as a small business owner, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, there's things we all need to be doing to either job cost and understand, as you mentioned, and you've spoken about, yes, we can understand the philosophy of, of profit first and the bank accounts and who we should pay. And, and that's really important that we're taking that step first. And then, to build on that, as you mentioned, is throughout this whole conversation, the systems and effectiveness and resources. And if, if I, whether I'm a cost plus or lump sum, if I don't know my numbers, if I don't know my cost, if I don't know what I'm spending on a monthly basis on labor, if I don't know what I'm spending on J Johns or poor, you know, or dumpsters or, you know, and have this analysis and contingencies, you know, there's no way for me to better that process and system to allow for the incidentals and things that come up to be profitable. So at the end of the day, you know, I can be charitable and help my community and help my family and, you know, be there for my client, you know, as, uh, you know, years down the road. Yeah. And, and I'm just a big systems guy. Like I understand that some people listening to this would be like, Oh my gosh, this guy's like, like this is, but this is the way I'm wired. Like I used to be an engineer, structural engineer. And, and that's where I, that's just, I'm, I've learned not 
uh, not to like avoid my nerdiness and just accept it <laughs> and be like, this is, and it's, it's an, it's great as a business coach and as a business owner and entrepreneur, it's pretty bad as a dad sometimes when I'm like, <laughs> Hey, let's break this down to the simplest concept, you know? And my son's just like, dad, um, I'm just trying to like, do I have to take the trash out? Like, yeah, <laughs> let's break, let's make sure we have a system to, you know, every Wednesday morning, um, it's gotta go out. Uh, but here's the thing about it is, that I've found is that systems provide truth. Like it's hard to ignore the truth that comes out of running it. Like our system's either working or it's not. So we got to go fix it. When we fix it, then we, there's some gaps that are revealed. That's good as a bit, like it sucks to go through that, but like, Hey, we missed some communication or whatever. The system's going to show where we need to plug the gaps. And then it provides data that we can use in our business. And here's the, here's the point that I'm making about this, especially when it comes to serving our customers. When you have systems that provide truth and, and data that comes out of that, then telling your customers the truth is the kindest thing you can do for them. Meaning they don't, they aren't going to want to hear that they're going to spend $20,000 in dumpsters on this project. No one builds a house saying like, Hey, I, you know, 20,000 dumpsters in Porta Johns, <laughs> right? No one wants to hear that, but like in order for us to do the job, that's just the truth. And any, any builder that doesn't tell you the truth is not being kind to you, right? So we have some things that we have to discuss the details of our cost plus and what it means. And like, you know, you're going to pay for the, the punch list stuff and here's what allowances are like, and we're just, we're, we don't like saying this stuff, but it's the truth. The truth serves you. And it's the kindest thing that we can do. And we can also tell you like, here's our process. We really want to do this project for you, but we're not going to sacrifice our business or our process just to do the I know you don't want to hear it. I don't even like saying it, but it's the truth. And the truth is the kindest thing. And it gets to our employees too. Like that's a whole nother podcast, right? About like, hey, I think I'm doing pretty good. All right, well, here's the truth. <laughs> you haven't really been measured. Um, and based on the metrics, you're not doing so good. Now that doesn't mean you can't work here anymore, but it does mean that you need to improve or whatever. And, and that's what I just come back to is like, there's a way to deliver the truth, but you got to understand like, like this is coming from a systems guy. I'm a very direct person anyway, but that's where I just kind of land is like the kindest thing you can do is to tell people the truth. If you don't know what the truth is, you got to go get the systems in place so that, you know, you know, you know what that true thing is, because a lot of times we just want to serve the client and we end up making stuff up and it doesn't serve the client. And then we eat the cost or they get surprised and it's a, it's a train wreck. I love that, Sean, and being sensitive to your time too, because one thing I've seen you really capitalize is, you know, the systems is important, as you mentioned, but the other aspect of business is marketing, right? And I, I, you know, you do a phenomenal job of marketing and your social presence and, you know, podcasts and speaking events and getting out there, which has built your brand, your reputation, you know, that personal branding is permanent job security, right? You hear that. And so from a company aspect, when you're consulting companies, you know, how much of an emphasis should they be putting in marketing or branding or social media and how have you helped them, you know, exceed probably what they're currently doing? Yeah. I, I, th I always say that your business starts with sales, like without, without a sale, you're not in business. There's no exchange of money. Right. But the only reason that someone would give you money for the thing that you're selling is because they see some value in that. 
And that's where marketing comes in. So your business starts with sales, but you got to market to somebody before you sell them. Now, you, every business owner, every single business owner that's listening to this is marketing in some way. Now, some of them are making the mistake saying, we don't do any marketing. We get all everything from word of mouth or referrals. That's marketing. Now, if you aren't intentional about that, then here's what happens. And I always say this, word of mouth marketing sucks if you don't control the words people are saying. Oh, you got you got to call you got to call Brad and guys over there at AFT. They do a phenomenal job and man, we talked to five other build, builders in Scottsdale and they are they're by far the cheapest or whatever. <laughs> like like that's not why I want someone call I don't want those words being said about me, but I if I don't control what they are, what I want people to say is like you got to call Brad and the guys over at AFT. Now, let me tell you, you're probably going to pay a little bit more than you think, but here they've got a process. And they've got people that walk you through. And you know what? Like there was never one time where I didn't know where I was at, how the process worked and like what was next. And coming through that, I've talked to other people that didn't have that kind of experience. And so I'm just telling you, like, just pay whatever they're, you're going to love it. That is word of mouth marketing. That is a good referral, but that does not happen naturally. You've got to tell people exactly what to tell other people, right? So marketing is everything because it leads to the sale. But a lot of construction business owners just have existed saying, well, we get everything through referrals. And so for those business owners out there that are listening to saying, well, Sean, I disagree with you. We're doing pretty good through our referrals and our word of mouth marketing or whatever. We don't spend any money or a lot of time on that. Imagine what your business would be like if you did. If you honed in the message and the marketing and you got the right people to start in your funnel and I'll, get, I'll go off on nerdy marketing terms here right? And you weeded some of those people out, how much better would your business be? How much more time as the business owner would you have back if you did spend marketing time and effort on, on that marketing? So we're all marketing. It's just how intentional are you being with it? And then at you answer that question, then you can put some dollars behind it and say, okay, where do we need to spend money? You're spending time on it, whether you like it or not. And a lot of the, Great things about social media, a lot of bad things about social media too, is it gives the, uh, the appearance of marketing. Well, we're posting stuff, but I'm like, yeah, but like, look what you're posting. Are you trying to attract carpenters? It's <laughs> like your customers don't understand any of the last 15 things you posted. And that's fine. That's, it's okay. But like, I want to get them at least develop a message so that when we do put it out there, if someone sees it today, tomorrow or 10 years from now, it will lead back to my company. Meaning we are identifying a pain point for our customers when, when they know that we solve that problem because it's very clear. They know exactly what we do. And in that message, they know exactly, basically, I want to I want to know, I want my customers to know exactly how they can send me money the fastest. Sean, it, it is so spot on what you shared. I mean, there, there's a few things. I think when I network with builders around the country, one of their biggest things is how do I get the right client? How do I vet? How do I get a client that's willing to spend this or do this? And as you mentioned, it's all messaging because even in word of mouth, there's two types, right? Are people saying you're the cheapest guy in town? Yeah, I go to you, you know, or they saying the value you bring, right? And, you know, social media and marketing is a way to control the content and that messaging and that branding to and and bring value as you mentioned and and this is something you do that I think 
provides a lot of value for me as a business owner. Yeah. Why am I not going to call Sean, you know, to counsel my business because he's putting out content that, that reaches me. And I, you know, I look at builders that put out good content and they don't care if their competition sees it. They don't care if their clients see it because they're bringing value to the industry, whether it be through video or through text. And, you know, they're controlling that content and, you, you know, going back to your analogy where, why should I spend so much time on marketing? Cause business is good. Well, I'm sure the newspaper industry said that in the nineties, right before the internet came out and we saw what happened there. I mean, the thing is now social media is so prevalent that most people do research. And if you're not president, well, your competitor probably is, and you're going to be losing some customers. So as of today, it may work, but 10 years from now, who's to say, who's to say, right? So you have to make sure that you're hitting those different platforms and demographics. Yeah. And you want, again, you're, you're going to have customers that you want to warm them up to the idea of the process. So I'm not saying that like posting things that, that are process related or maybe even technical related, like it's all, it's all part of it, but just understanding like what is going to get that cold audience uh, to get them warmed up. So they become that hot prospect, but they get on the phone and they have been warmed up to, they know what the next step is. Like you don't have to waste time doing that because you've already been able to put that out there into the world. It's never been easier to be a better marketer, but when it's, I think people think that it is too easy. And when you're doing something, especially on the marketing, you're like, man, this is easy. Then everybody's doing it and you don't stand out. Marketing, like everything else, like we talked about this at the beginning, it's just, it's just a job. It's part of the job and you got to, you got to test and tweak what that message is. And when you and this is the other thing is when you figure out what works and people see that message, they take the next step, they end up in your office, you're having, and they know, like they know that it's going to be a cost plus contract and the benefits to them, if that's how you do it, or pre-construction or, or whatever, like the clients that see all that stuff and end up anyway, like it's, it's never been easier to sell to them. Right. But if, if they show up and they think like, Oh, well, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to negotiate this type of contract. Like, no, I'm sorry. We don't do that. Like if you've seen our content, you just lead them, you, you lead them down that path. And um, marketing is, like I said, is very, is becoming a lot easier to become a better marketer. I guess I should say it that way, but it's still not easy. And when you find that message that works, and this is, I got this piece of advice from Seth Godin. And when he said it, I was like, oh man, it's so good. Do not get tired of your marketing message as the business owner. When you find out what works, don't get tired when your people get bored with it. Don't get, just don't get bored with your marketing message until your accountant gets bored with it. Meaning when your accountant says, you've got so much money, we can go out and play around with this message. Maybe we should tweak it, right? You think like Nike and Gatorade and Disney and I don't know, Apple, you think they're tweaking like don't don't mistake like the ads that you see but like the core of the process of like you know the just do it the swoosh symbol that's nike they're not moving off from that they're not going to go create some something else i mean people out there are gonna be like oh sean you're talking about branding and then marketing and like there's a difference <laughs> but i'm just saying when you find that message that works you're you're going to get bored with it but when it's effective don't change it like it's just it's just the work it's just the job keep doing the job I love that, Sean. And I, you know, I can't thank you enough for what you're doing for the industry, for us, for professionals, you know, the value you brought on, you know, the podcast today. And for those listening, I, I know they're going to gain 10, 15 things that they can apply immediately, you know? So from your aspect, Sean, you know, what's upcoming, what's exciting, how can our listeners find you if they want to engage, you, you know, to strengthen their business, you know, what are those steps? 
Yeah. So you can, uh, you can just search me on Google, Sean Van Dyke, and it's S-H-A-W-N-V-A-N-D-Y-K-E. Now you are going to find, um, you are going to find there's a Sean Van Dyke. That's like a high school teacher in like Akron, Ohio. I'm not her. Um, <laughs> first of all, she, she might come up on the second page. Um, and then there's an actor that'll pop up Barry Van Dyke, much more good looking, better looking than I am. That's not me either. But anyway, uh, I'm on Instagram, Sean Van Dyke, also profit first contractor on Instagram and uh, built to build Academy. The built to build Academy is the, the thing that we've been working on in 2020. It's funny. We launched this. We've been working on it for over a year now. And when me and my team, we said, okay, we're going to launch, we're going to launch this online Academy, March 30th, 2020. That's the day <laughs> we're going to go and put it out online. You know, the day the world changed when everybody became a business coach or whatever. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. So, but anyway, our Academy launched this year and we've got over a hundred members in the Academy, just construction, like you said, construction business owners, trade business owners, uh, contractors, remodelers, and we just take them through these systems. A lot of these systems that I've described here. Um, so they can go check that out at built to build academy.com. And then you can find me on my website, seanvandyke.com and everything is, is there. And, um, yeah. And so we're, we're really excited about where the Academy is going. And we've got uh, three levels in the Academy built to start, built to grow and built to lead. Like I said, you go to built to build Academy. You can see all of that stuff. So we've got something for any construction business owner, whether you're just starting out, you're in this chaotic growth phase, or especially in our built to lead program is for construction business owners that are like, I got to remove myself from the day-to-day -day business. I want to either focus on developing leaders within my business, then we've, that's our one-on-one -on -one mentoring program. And then besides that, we're, we've got a couple other, I've invested in another business construction related um, that's going to be coming out in early 2021. So we're excited about that. Can say much about that. And then I'm working on another book. Um, which I can't say much about because I got to write this book. If I don't write this book, someone else is. Um, <laughs> and so it's really nerdy number crunching stuff, but I'm going to try to make it as entertaining as possible and solve a different problem for contractors. So, well, and, and lots for, of stuff. Yeah. And for everyone listening in our show notes, we'll have a very detailed breakdown in the show notes with all everything that Sean discussed, you know, all the ways to find him. I highly recommend you go follow him now, check out his stuff, order his book. Very valuable. And Sean, can't thank you enough for making time for us today. Brad, thank you so much for having, having me on. And uh, I look forward to, uh, I was going to wear the, I was going to wear the shirt that you sent me <laughs> and you accused me of being fat. But again, you know what we'll have to do? I'll, I don't know if this will make it in the podcast, but we'll have to, I'll put that video or I'll, I'll, I'll put that video out there so people can, you know, little intrigue as to what, but Brad at one time called me fat and then <laughs> sent me some hats and t-shirts to make up for it. Well, so. we will have to say that we'll do a video, but just to conclude the podcast. So there's a couple of years ago, I sent in some, um, some company, you know, some shirts and some hats to Sean. And I said, are you a hat guy? Well, at least I thought that's what I was texting. And the, the autocorrect said, are you a fat guy? And, and we'll, <laughs> I'll let Sean take it from yeah. there. Yeah. So I was, yeah. Anyway, there's a video of it. I was like, well, man, that was kind of for, I, I'd been working out and trying to watch what I eat and I thought I was doing pretty good, but I thought, oh man. Uh, anyway, there's a video of me interacting with Brad on that. And, uh, that's kind of, that's probably where our relationship really, really started there. It so I had nowhere to go, but up yeah. from there. So, yeah. but we'll dig up that video. I'll put it on Instagram or something like that. So when people listen to this, then they can, we'll go and we'll link to that. Well, thanks again, Sean. Hey, thanks, Brad.
So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.